It's great to see you all. Uh, if you're new to our church, my name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside and Lake Orion. It's great to see you all. I hope you had an amazing new year. Yes? Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, I hope you're having a good new year, and you've had a, a great new year and Christmas together. And um, man, it's been, it's been great just to reflect on God's goodness this last year and uh, my hopes and expectations of what God is going to do uh, this next year. Hope you have the same. And today, given that it's a new year, we're going to be diving into a new section of God's Word, actually going back to the Old Testament, which I think will be fun. So if you have your Bible, you have an app, you have your phone, an iPad, an Apple Watch, I don't know, whatever you get the Bible on, or if not, we'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to be diving into the book of Daniel together, looking at Daniel with one another to see how it might impact our lives together, right? So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at <clears throat> the whole book of Daniel, kind of a deep dive there, if you will, and the question we want to wrestle with over the next number of weeks, maybe even just starting today, is this, how do you, how do I, how do we as the church remain faithful to God's kingdom in a hostile cultural kingdom we live in today? How do you remain faithful, if I can say it this way, to Jesus in following Jesus when it seems like many times the culture you're living in is hostile towards the ways of Jesus? And I'll ask you this question, just to open up, to get your motor running and your mind thinking, is do you ever feel like an exile in the world you're living in? You might not be like, hey, well, I don't know what a, technically what an exile is, but do you ever feel like a stranger in your groups of friends, in the places your kids play sports, in the schools they attend? I was just beginning as I've been preparing to speak from Daniel, just thinking, I do my best. I'm a pastor, so it's really easy for me just to hang out with Christian people all the time, but I don't like Christians. I'm kidding. Uh, you guys are a tough crowd today. I enjoy and I do my best to try to walk and interact with and, and have friendships with people that believe differently than me, that don't love Jesus, that have no inclination of what it means to follow God, and really have no desire. And I think it's good. I've always, from the beginning of being a pastor, be like, I can't find myself just in the four walls of the church. I want to find people that, that say things they shouldn't and, and hang around people that don't know anything otherwise. And I want to be around people that live wrongly and have a, a place in their lives. And it just got me thinking many times as I'm preparing for this, whether it's in Whatever avenue, my kids' sports or my kids' public school or, you know, uh, friendships that I've built over the years and different things that I do, there's many times where I feel like a stranger. What they're talking about, what they're uh, experiencing, the, the things they're engaging with, they come to find often, I've, used the, uh, I've told you my story many times, I try my best not to tell them I'm a pastor. I want them to be as raw and real as possible. And then eventually it comes up, what do you do for a living? I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> because then as soon as I say that, they're like, I am so sorry for what I said, or I am so sorry for this. I'm like, you don't have to apologize. 
But I oftentimes feel a stranger, like a stranger, and I wonder if you don't feel the same way. Maybe in your workplace, the, the morale of the people and the way that they carry themselves, the way that they, that they want to achieve at any cost in the world, the, maybe the way that you interact on social media and the things that you see and experience young people or older people, right? As, as a man in today's culture, trying to live out biblical manhood, do you ever feel like a stranger, moms in this, men and women business individuals, do you ever feel like a stranger? Students here in college campuses, I'm sure if you're going to a public university, many times you feel like, or you should feel like a stranger, an alien, an, an exile in the world that you're living in. And the reason why I bring that up is because this is exactly what Daniel and his friends are experiencing in Babylon. When we look into it, when, when, when we dive into it today and moving forward, when we step into it, we find Daniel and his friends in a foreign land controlled by a very powerful government, a pagan culture, and a very progressive culture. Sound familiar? Babylon is this great empire and it's referred to all throughout Scripture. I mean, it plays a prominent, prominent role in Scripture. And it's really realized in much of Scripture as the enemy of God's people and, and kind of the embodiment of immorality. And, man, you read even the very beginning, you can go as early as Genesis chapter 11, where the pride of the people is so great that they're like, hey, we're so powerful, let's build a tower to where we could reach God. To the end of Scripture in Revelation chapter 18, where Babylon was a place of demons dwelling. So it's, it's never looked at really as good, right? And here now, this is where Daniel and his friends find themselves as they've been brought into captivity. And really, their reality is much of the reality that you're experiencing in everyday life. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I'll just say this as a caveat, if you're trying to carry out the kingdom of God in the world you're living in. If you're a, a Christian, a cultural Christian that just comes into church here and doesn't really do anything outside the four walls of this church, you might not feel any of this. All right? But, but their reality they face is the same reality we face. And what I want you to see, and I want you to understand and experience over all this today in the scripture we have and the time that I have, is that God is sovereign over the cultural circumstances around us. All the cultural circumstances you watch on... Uh, CNN, Fox News, ABC, I don't care where you get your news or where you're looking for it or what social media platform you're looking at or what's happening in the world around us, I want you to know today that God is sovereign over the cultural circumstances you're experiencing every day. He hasn't lost control, he, just like he hasn't lost control here, and I want you to see God has actually not just not lost control, he is fully in control of the circumstances all around you. And he is looking for us as the followers of Jesus, as the kingdom of God, to actually live out what he has called us to. And so what I want us to wrestle with today is just how do we remain faithful? How do we remain faithful to God's kingdom following Jesus in a culture that many times seems hostile to the ways of Jesus? Okay, everybody good with that? Okay. So it seems like it's been a long New Year's Eve. People are tired. All right? Okay. I have to talk louder. No, I'm just kidding. So let's just look in Daniel chapter 
1 together. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to go through the first 21 verses together. We're going to have to fly through it. Verse, first seven verses, look at together. And the first thing we'll realize is from this text, this section, on how we can remain faithful. Look with me. In the third year of the reign of some really fun names today, right? Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, uh, understanding, learning, and competent to stand at the king's palace, in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Meshael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he gave Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called, sound familiar? Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called one of the local coffee shops in our area. It's awesome. <laughs> a bean to go. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. We're alive now. Good. <laughs> so first thing, man, how do we remain faithful? The first thing is just to recognize the cultural influences that are around us. This is what, this is what Daniel is doing here in this text. Man, um, the opening of the text is not very fun. It's kind of uh, overwhelming. Man, we're, we're, we're brought into the historical context of, of all of Daniel where Jerusalem was sieged by, this, by their arch enemy, Babylon. This is the third time that it's happened, and this time they actually overcome Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is destroyed, and um, man, and they raise this temple. All this stuff's happening. And King Jehoiakim, uh, if you read about it in 2 Chronicles, just a little background in chapter 36 and verse 5, tells us that he was actually a wicked king who was, did, did evil in the Lord's sight. Now, why does that matter? It matters a lot because God made some promises to the people of Israel. So Israel's king was a wicked king, and he did much like a lot of them and was doing evil in their sight. And in verse 2, you read it. God is sovereign over history and the nations. It says in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You read that. This isn't like they didn't fight hard enough, they didn't have a good battle plan or anything like that. God gave it to them. And I want you to see this. God is not one who is just like, I hope this turns out well for you. No, God strategically, and even in other Old Testament texts, brings about other nations upon his people and allows them to be overthrown. Why? Because of their sinfulness and their brokenness. That God is not out of control. He's actually very much in control. And he's controlling. He's, he's moving human history. And he made promises to the people of his, uh, Israel. He said, man, you disobey me. You pursue other gods. You practice evil. He will. I will raise up other nations to judge you. 
And Babylon is one of those nations that he is judging and punishing Israel here with. And so it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is actually bringing, after he overthrows, he, he brings about, I want the best of the best. I want the best of the young men to be brought in in order to train them in, in their own culture, their own language, their own administration. He wants to mold the best minds of the Israeli, or Israelite people and the Jewish people so that he could utilize them for his own kingdom. This is really cultural indoctrination for them, indoctrinating these young men with their literature, their language, and everything else it says from the Chaldean people. Very progressive discipleship here as he brings them in and says, man, I want you to, I want the best of the best. And they're going to be trained now for three years, basically like a college education of indoctrination of their culture, their pagan worship, their practices, and everything else. This is a really big deal. So verses 6 and 7 kind of introduced these four young men, right? They're captured and brought in. Their Hebrew names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Each of these names, it's significant. It carries a weight to it. Names were significant back then. For me, right, I looked at my kids. My daughter's not here. She's playing soccer in Florida today. So she, maybe she's watching online, I don't know. She knows that we named her because we saw her name on the side of a dumpster, Addison Waste Removal. And I was like, I like that, Addison's, that's so nice. <laughs> for them, it wasn't that case. It was significant, every name. And maybe it is for you, and I'm just a horrible dad, but that's fine. <laughs> right? Daniel meant something. Daniel meant God is my judge, right? Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious, so God has been gracious. Mishael uh, means whose is what God is. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Now the king brings them in, changes their names, and their names have significance. It's now just the beginnings of indoctrination. Daniel is called Belshazzar, which means Bel will protect. Hananiah is called Shadrach, which means Aku inspires me. Mishael, he, he's called... Uh, Meshach, which is, it means belonging to Aku, Azariah. He's called Abendigo, which, I can't, I keep saying Abendigo, Abendigo, <laughs> which means servant of Nego. So all of them are now, rather than being named around significance with Yahweh, are being named of the significance of their gods, their pagan gods. This is huge. He's stripping them of their social, economic, and religious convictions and replacing them with the ethics and the morals of their pagan culture. This is what they're doing. And, and Daniel has to recognize this, what's happening. And I'm sure he did, which is why he did what he did. And you, as a follower of Jesus, have to be aware of the cultural significance around you that is informing you whether you like to admit it or not. It's educating you. Maybe one of the greatest examples of this, I'm not going to get into it all, but man, there's been some Ivy League schools that have really gotten into some trouble recently. Now that's secondary, but it's a great example of how culture can impact you slowly, even though you may not realize it. Well, take for instance, Harvard University. You know Harvard and pretty much all of um, these highly sought after universities started as actual Christian educations that were uh, schools that were meant to train up pastors and missionaries to go and change the world for the gospel, and they are not that today, right? For example, Harvard, their original motto was Veritas Christo et Ecclesia, which means truth for Christ and the church. 
Then in, in, in this began in, in 1632, but then in 1880, right, with the Enlightenment, Harvard dropped for Christ and the church from its motto, simply leaving veritas, right? So it's detaching Christ and the church and saying, man, secular and social influences for learning and morality is now our thing. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened over a progression of time. And so I just start by today, in the limited time I still have, is just asking you, are you aware? Are you even acknowledging and are you aware of the cultural influences that are seeking to shape the way you think, the way you act, the way you, you interact with people and everything else? Are you even aware of them? Or are you just walking through life? Because they're super subtle, very subtle. They find themselves on social media where you begin to watch certain things and interact things. Do you want a case study? Let your kids have social media at a young age and don't monitor anything they do. And you will begin to see a change in them as they are culturally influenced and shepherded by the culture around you. I mean, it comes up in a lot of things. It comes up in your school. My kids go to public school. I love it. It's great public education. We're getting there. But you have to be very involved with your kids, whether they're at a Christian school, public school, homeschooled. I was homeschooled, and I got into plenty of mischief. And that's just our kids, right? We're having conversations. It impacts many of the ways we do life, how, what we seek after what we do with our finances. Man, you live long enough in this country, you will be educated to the culture around you to get more and live for as much as you can and do as much as you can for you. Your choices are about you, 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 and you. And you know what? God says love is the greatest thing and love has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with everybody else. And you will be indoctrinated. Just this. I'll just press on some toes here for a moment. It's fun. This, what you're doing right now, sitting in this room, is becoming less of a priority even in the Christian world today. The average attendance by a Christian today in church is 1.5 Sundays a month because you are being indoctrinated. You are being culturally indoctrinated that this is less important to the rest of the world and the rest of things that is in life. This is important. The gathering of God's saints, not to hear Jim uh, ramble on about anything, but the word of God being declared and the saints coming together to lift up praises to God because he deserves it. And we are being influenced every single day. And everything you experience in life and the decisions you make and how you shepherd your children and what you pursue in business and what you do with your finances and all of it should be filtered through the truth of God's word. That's the second problem we have. So many believers aren't actually getting into the word of God. So, so when the world is indoctrinating them, when the culture is coming against them, when the world is speaking on a number of different things, they don't know what to do because they're not utilizing the word of God and allowing it to shape their heart, their feelings, their affections, and everything else. So they're slowly but surely being influenced rather than allowing the word of God to filter everything that is in our lives. Are you training your children to read the word of God so that they can make appropriate decisions, whether at Christian school, public school, public college, private college, and the next stage in their life, so they can adequately make decisions in a culture that many times is hostile to what they believe. Well, man, it's, it's highly informative 
for us to recognize, to recognize actually the cultural influences on sexuality right now, on family, on money, on politics, on priorities, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Well, not only staying faithful, we have to recognize the cultural influences, but we have to remain dependent on God. Look what it is that continues on. Daniel 1, verse 8. <coughs> but Daniel resolved, great word to highlight in your Bible. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Doesn't sound like the king's a very nice guy. Then Daniel said to the steward, uh, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, amen, than all the youths who ate the king's food. I mean, that's supernatural. I don't know how you get fatter from vegetables. But so the steward took away their food and wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. That's what I tell my wife. I can't eat vegetables. I get fatter. I got to eat the good stuff. So remain dependent on God, right? This is the first of several times when Daniel and his friends are at risk of their lives. But I love what it says in verse 8, Daniel resolved. That could be a word for you today, right? Resolved, it's an idiom expressing deliberate act of the will motivated by, motivated by a deep personal conviction, it's a deliberate act motivated by a deep-seated personal conviction. For them, the king's food represented impurity and, and, and the pagan world and its immoral practices, right? So to eat the king's food for them, no matter how well it was prepared or appealing it was, might, might be seen as kind of contaminating themselves with the sin of the world around them. Now, I can't, I don't have time to get in all, all of it, but Israel had very strict dietary laws. Just read. Uh, and when you have time, Leviticus is a great book for personal study. I'm joking around a little bit. Leviticus 11, just read it sometime. They were not, it, it, was, not it was not permissible to eat certain things, and certain things had to be prepared very strict ways. Why? Why would God have strict dietary rules for them? Well, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, Moses tells the people of Israel this, for you are a holy people, the Lord your God, to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. You see, Israel's food regulations were less about health benefits and like, hey, this will be most healthy for you over some animals and not other animals as they weren't able to eat pigs or camels and other things. They weren't able to cook the meat 
of, of a calf and its own mother's milk and just other things, right? It was more about identity as God's people. They were identifying, right? As they kept this Levitical law, they were identifying as the Lord's followers, right? And they were identifying in a world that meant this is us. We are the people of God. Even what we just did a few moments ago when we took communion serves as an identity factor that we, as we take communion and eat that meal, if you will, we identify with who? It's the, it's the, it's the church answer, Jesus. <laughs> we identify, right? And so the people of Israel are set apart from all the other nations, including the way that they ate and prepared their food. There's many other rules and laws, right? So to Daniel, he had one choice. I can't eat that stuff. And he set his heart to honor God by not eating the king's food. And their actions kind of portray for us, model for us, total dependence on God. Daniel is dependent on God for his life, right? He says, man, who was Daniel to deny the king? I mean, this guy just overthrew your whole country and your people. Who are you to deny what the king says or the way you're supposed to live? The, the eunuch even says it to him a little bit. He goes, man, uh, I fear the Lord my king. He's like, why do I got to put my head on the block for you? But, but I love it. It says the Lord intervenes and bestows upon Daniel favor. You're going to see this over and over again in the text. It doesn't say Daniel was really convincing. He was super good at communicating and he just wooed this man. No, the God, the God of the universe gives him favor. This is what God does. He's still in control of all of this. And even in Daniel's obedience, God is there giving him favor and pre preserving his life. Man, I just think it's so powerful the way that he over and over again prevails in obedience of the sovereign hand of God. He knows that his survival was not because of his own strength or self-determination, but because he remained dependent upon the Lord. And what Daniel wanted to show, man, I think it would be good for us as well, he wanted, to show, he wanted to show this man and really the king and all of Babylon that the Lord, when he is on your side, even if all we ate and drank was vegetables for the next 10 days, we will be 10 times better than all of you. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem normal. It seems supernatural. And I want you to experience that. That's why we're instituting at the church a Daniel fast starting the new year. I'm totally kidding. Like, if you're all like, this is why you're doing this. This is why you're doing Daniel. The Daniel fast starting the new year so we can all be healthy. No, not at all. But he knew in his heart God would be faithful to preserve him in the most choicest foods that you could imagine. This is what he says. I'm just going to eat water. I'm going to drink water and eat vegetables, and I promise you I'll be better off. And it's not because of what I'm eating. It's because of who God is. Because I have set my heart. I have resolved in my heart that I will not defile myself even in captivity as an alien and a stranger in this land, but I will be faithful to God. So I just ask you, in the world you're living in today, are you remaining faithful? Have you resolved to be faithful? 
That's a predetermined action, resolving because of deep-seated conviction. So it starts a long ways back. Do you even know what your convictions are? In order for me to resolve what I will do and where I will go and what I won't do and what I will do and what God has called me to, what God has not called me to, how I'm going to respond to the situation when my boss offers this but he wants me to cross a line. How do I resolve this as a young person when I'm dating someone and they want me to, to not keep my purity? How am I going to resolve to do this as I'm supposed to be faithful in following Jesus in this scenario? But I know this is coming. Have we even figured out what our convictions are, therefore going backwards and saying, and then I resolve in my heart that I will stay faithful to God in the circumstances around me. Have we done that? Or are we just flying through life and being like, man, I hope it goes well? Because you're going to come up against moments. If you are living faithful for Jesus, you will have moments where you will be crossed. You will be asked you will be compelled, you will be wooed to cross lines and not live holy lives as aliens and strangers in this world. It will come if you're following Jesus. The difference is, are you resolved to be dependent on the Lord, to be faithful to him in the culture that you're living in? I think that we have a lot of people today that are just really hoping for the best. I don't know what my convictions are really. And I don't even know how to respond to that situation. So I don't even tell people I'm a Christian because I know there's things that will come after that and I don't know how to interact with that. Because I'm not in God's word because I don't know what my convictions are. I don't know how I'll respond. Or I've just not spent the time actually knowing and spending time with the Lord and saying, Lord, what are the things? Where are you leading me? I'm dependent on you today because I can't. When I walk into my office tomorrow and I interact with people that don't know you and love you, Lord, I need you to help me walk as a faithful follower of Jesus to represent you well. It's one of the things, man, how do we remain faithful to God in this day and age? Just like Daniel, we become more and more dependent on God. And I need you, Lord. God knows, I don't know if you know this, God knows how to provide for his people. If you read the Bible, you can figure that real quick. God knows how to provide for his people, and he will give us all that we need to remain faithful to him in everyday life. So, man, it, it, the time is coming. Will we be faithful? We need to resolve that. We need to figure that out. What is that for us? And then, lastly, receive his favor. Look what it says in verses 17 through 21. As for these four youths, sound like a familiar phrase again? God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, this is the three years now, 
When the king commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, listen to this, Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Man, after three years, they're like beating up on the local wizards. Like then, like magicians and eunuchs. Like you are, you been enchanters, like you got nothing on these guys. Three years. That's all they spent. They, the others have probably spent their lives learning the stuff. This is what's amazing. The favor of God is at them, on them. This is the climactic moment in the text, right? Brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar. Man, they've committed to God. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be faithful to you. Man, it could have been the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. They could have died on the spot, and they're unwilling to, to give up on the convictions that God has given them. And what happens? And I just want to encourage you with this. What happens when they are faithful? God intervenes. God moves. God does what God does. So I love that statement. God gave them. It is the same phrase found in verse 2, verse 9, and verse 17. The Lord is the one who gives. You don't have to have it all together and have all the words prepared for when you are faithful and you are, people question you about it. You don't have to have all of your stuff figured out when you walk in obedience with God and the culture around you. And man, there's some stuff, some backlash for that. God gives you what you need. God's the one who sustains you. God's the one who gives you favor with people that you otherwise should never have favor with. God does it. And I think we have a whole generation of believers that really, in a, in a me-centered culture around us, think that it all depends on me. I won't have the words to say. I won't do anything right, or I don't know how I'll respond, or how will I provide for my family if I lose my job, if I'm faithful to God. We don't have to worry about that. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who will supply all of our needs. God is the one who will give us favor. Man, so good. He's sovereign over the nations and history and everything in our lives. Why wouldn't he be sovereign over the responses to what we experience? They stand before the king, tested in every area. All four, this is what one commentator said, all four pass their oral examination with honors and are deemed by the king to be superior to all other wise men of the kingdom in wisdom and knowledge. Ten times better. Isn't it awesome how God works? Ten times. It wasn't like they were just, they just barely got in a little bit better than them. Ten times better. This is what God does. And I'll, I'll just remind you today, if we live lives that are unfaithful to God, just trying to live a chameleon Christian life, where I just go to work and the moms that I hang out with in our community, or the board that I sit on in the community, or the places that I do life, or my kids' sports team, or my kids' school, or wherever you do life, we just blend in and we are not faithful to the word of God because it's going to come when there's times where we're called to be faithful. You will never experience God showing up with his favor because he doesn't need to. 
You see, God shows up when we put ourselves in places of needing God to show up. God shows up, and you might be like, man, the church, I don't even know if I really care about the church anymore because I've never experienced the community of the church and all this other. Man, if you maybe, if we would start living faithful lives to God and you start feeling the ramifications of the culture around us, the church will be able to surround one another, love one another, share with one another like Acts talks about because they're living faithful lives in a world that is against them. And when we start living that way, we will be pressed in to actually live lives that are faithful to one another, not just to God, and will actually experience what the church is meant to be together. But if we never get there, God doesn't need to show up. Well, I, I asked you at the beginning, do you ever feel like an exile, a stranger? I don't know what you answered. I didn't ask you to. But you should. You definitely should. You shouldn't live a day in this world without feeling like I am meant, not meant for this place. If you are super comfortable, and I know I'm being kind of very to the point, and I'm doing it on purpose because I think it needs to be said. If you feel very comfortable in the world we're living in, you need to do some real soul because you should be very uncomfortable in the world we're living in. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll end with this. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He goes on in the next verse. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation. You are actually called in the New Testament an alien, a stranger, and a sojourner because this is not your home. It shouldn't feel like your home. And man, what it is, what a, what a high calling it is today to live a life that is faithful to the kingdom of God, but it can be done. And I just remind you again that God is sovereign over the circumstances of the culture around us. And I don't want you to leave here thinking culture is bad. I like a lot of things about our culture. But there are things that God is calling us to remain faithful in to his kingdom of God. And some of it, it seems super easy, love rather than hate. But sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. But may we as people of God leave here just encouraged to say, man, I need to figure out what it looks like for me, as Jim said, to remain faithful, knowing that God is in control of all the circumstances. He's got all of it planned out for me. He's going to take care of me, fulfill every need I have. My job is just to walk in obedience and faithfulness to what he's called me to. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for Daniel and his story. I don't know if Daniel knew when he was living his story the impact it would have on generations to come, but thank you for his life that is well lived. 
may impact our lives for the kingdom of God. And may we leave here today, if nothing else, convicted, encouraged, filled with your spirit, ready to be faithful ambassadors in the world around us, knowing that this is not our eternal dwelling place. We're from a different place because we've been redeemed by you. We're part of your kingdom, living out your kingdom in this kingdom. And so may you help us and empower us to be faithful to you, doing our best as we fumble through life, making failures of all kinds. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know anything about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, may they be wooed. They just have a conversation with myself or Alex or someone else in this room before they leave this place or someone online dropping a comment to have a conversation with someone else. Empower us to leave this place walking in obedience and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.